Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 221. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of What If episode 5. What If Zombies, directed by Brian Andrews, written by Matthew Chauncey. AC Bradley is the head writer for the series. But before we start talking about the latest episode of What If, just want to let you know where you can get exclusive podcasts for premium subscribers on Apple Podcasts or over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in the show notes. And on our premium memberships on Patreon and Apple Podcasts, we have the Fan Show Plus podcast, where we talk about additional MCU news, like for this week. We'll talk about those untitled release dates that Marvel has posted for 2024, as well as Disney's decision to have exclusive theatrical runs through the end of the year, which includes Marvel Studios Eternals, which will have a 45-day theatrical window. We also talk about non-MCU stuff and other entertainment business and industry news type of things over on Fanshow Plus. And you can subscribe to with for a premium membership over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. And then just make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. And now, without any further delay, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing much better than the last time I was on. I think it, my voice has cleared up a decent amount. It's still not 100%, but it's uh, it's almost there. And I'm, I'm devastated. I, I missed the uh, Shang-Chi review, but, you know, there's always more later on. And I think, we, I think honestly, there's so much to talk about this movie. I'm excited to talk about it today. And also... I, I guess what we're going to talk about also, but, but yeah, but yeah, I'm mostly excited to talk about Shang-Chi. Yeah, yeah, we we'll are going to talk about yeah. Shang-Chi uh, a little bit more on top of our spoiler review, but we are going to give this episode of what if it's due, but let's start before we get into the scene by scene breakdown, overall impressions, which I think for me also just takes the form of uh, a little bit of fair warning. I was not a big fan of this episode, and I know that's probably going to be very different than what people are used to hearing from me, because Sean always says good things about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yes. and he never says anything bad. That's not true, but this might be the most negative I've ever been or, or felt about a new chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Granted, the stakes are much, much lower for a single episode of What If than, say, a brand new Marvel Studios movie, for example, but I was not a big fan of this one, and I don't think it was ever really going to be. Um, it, it never really had much of a shot at being one of my favorite episodes of What If, because I've just never really cared about Marvel zombies in the comic books or in animated form. Like, this was not one of the things I was the most excited to see or anywhere close to it when uh, they showed some of the plans for What If, and we saw the zombie cap as part of the footage and, and knew that that was going to be part of this show. But even so, like I was hoping I could at least enjoy it more on its own level, on its own terms. And there were just some things, uh, some logic bombs and emotional authenticity bombs that just kind of got in the way for me of this episode. It doesn't mean I didn't have any fun with it. There were certainly some moments that I liked. Um, but overall, this episode just was didn't do a whole lot for me. What did you think, Paul? I'm kind of with you on this one as well. I... 
I, I like you. I never really cared about the Marvel Zombies franchise as far as, you know, when Robert Kirkman was writing it. I remember I got back into comic books and that was kind of like a, a pretty uh, popular series. And I, I was aware of the Walking Dead, uh, Walking Dead, obviously, when, when I got back into comic books, you know, sprinkling back and forth between my high school and, and uh, you know, early 20s. And I never cared about zombies then. I didn't care about zombies when they became huge with, um, you know, Walking Dead TV show. I just don't care about zombies. I just never cared about them, especially Marvel zombies. I never read a comic book. I just don't care about them. It's just not my thing. And so when I knew this episode was happening, like you, Sean, I, I kind of knew this one's probably not going to be my favorite or, you know, and yeah, it, it pretty much happened. It just, I just did not care about this episode. And I hate saying that. I don't, you know, it's, it's just not my thing. And it's, I've loved what if so far. I mean, I, I think it's been pretty dang awesome, but this episode is just, from the get-go, I knew it was. I wasn't going to connect to it at all, and I was right. And I, I maybe, maybe I came in with a negative attitude already, uh, but now nah, I just, yeah, not, not my thing. To be just upfront as well. Yeah, and look, I think that's okay, and I don't want to take away from anyone who enjoyed this. So I, I will also say that, like, I'm not here to invalidate anyone's positive impression of this episode. And believe me, if it's Two of us who are having a debate over what if or this episode and one of us likes it and one of us, me, doesn't like it, you win because we both went into this episode wanting to really enjoy a brand new episode mm -hmm. of what if, a brand new episode of something from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you were able to, I wasn't quite as much. Uh, so that's a win for your side. I am definitely envious of you uh, if you got uh, a kick out of this episode. For me, it felt more like, all right, cool, uh, on to next week. Uh, it yes. was really weird. Yes. It was really what it was. It was the on. It's the on to Cincinnati episode of what if for me. <laughs> so uh, let's let's go through it though. So we start with the whole uh, Thanos is coming sequence from Avengers: Infinity War. What I did like about this is I loved how the shots were like taken right out of Avengers: Infinity War with Banner coming through on the on the Bifrost. He crashes into the Sanctum just like before, uh, but no one is there to hear his warning this time except for the Cloak of Levitation. And then he walks outside. Ebony Maw and Cull Obsidian arrive, so we do get to hear Tom Von Lawler's sweet line, Hear me and rejoice. I will never, ever get tired of hearing that. And just when it looks like Banner is done for because the Hulk is not showing up, remember they weren't exactly getting along uh, in Avengers Infinity War, the Avengers show up to take him down, and I did like this initial intro, Paul. Like, I loved uh, Banner's hazy point of view. Can't mm -hmm. quite tell what's going on, but knows it's bad and, and very weird, which is very classic zombie trope of, like, that initial discovery of just what the hell is going on before it becomes very apparent what's going on, and you just have to deal with the horror of what that is mm -hmm. and, and what that means. So that part, I, I kind of... That part I was good with and the action was you know zombie avenger action i mean you get iron man doctor strange and wong and then of course they've turned maw and uh cull obsidian wong's severed head with the whole sling ring thing i thought was a good enough zombie death uh but things are not looking great for banner until the wasp shows up and this is all the cloak of levitation that's helping banner survive all of this and then wasp shows up with like a horde of ants that takes out 
all of these very powerful Avenger zombies, which seems like a very good method of taking out a lot of powerful zombies all at once. Uh, maybe something that would have been worth using again, I'm sure, but for whatever reason, she doesn't. Uh, Spider-Man comes in, uh, scoops up Dr. Banner, and uh, introduces himself as the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Banner wants to know what the hell happened to the neighborhood, and the Watcher sums it up. Like too many great catastrophes, this one sprang from a place of love and hope. Uh, hope being a word we hear 547 times during this episode. So, Paul, before we get into the story of like too many yeah. great catastrophes, this initial intro, I wasn't really bumping up against anything here. Like this initial, yeah. like it wasn't totally my thing, but I was like, okay, well, as a, as zombie tropes go, this was, I thought, a, a good introduction. Yeah, what I will say is I liked I, I did like the originality of how the zombies came about in the first place. That's that's where I kind of was like, okay, that's cool. I like the idea that it came from the quantum realm. And and let's be real here, that kind of gives us a little bit of insight of what the quantum realm potentially has inside of it, right? So it does give us a little bit of canon of like what the quantum realm can have and what is lurks in there potentially. So I thought that was all very interesting. I like you. Um, it, this wasn't the worst thing in the world. Um, I liked the cloak of levitation helping Banner. That was fine. That was cool. I actually liked. I would say hope the most in this episode. Like mm -hmm. I liked how she was powerful and that she was. It showed her as a competent, uh, <clears throat> very competent fighter. And as we see in the movies, obviously, but it was cool to see her kind of unload a little bit, like her power. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. Um, so that was all nice stuff. I, I wasn't hating on it. And I don't really hate this episode. I just didn't love it, but I was enjoying it at this point. Right. Um, so I would say, yes, all this was, was, was fine at this moment. But, um, but yeah, like, I, like you said, Sean, you hear the word hope a lot in mm. this episode, yeah. <laughs> a little too much, a, a bit, a bit overused. So yes. um, as far as what happened, as you mentioned, I mean, we I, what I do like about this, we get a little bit more of a more uh, specific timeline for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I would say this is probably pretty similar to the way things would lay out within the sacred timeline as well. It's two weeks earlier because we know that there's always this overlap between Infinity War and Ant-Man and the Wasp because of the mid credit scene of Ant-Man and the Wasp. But as far as the main story, it obviously had to have started a little bit before Infinity War and now we're told via this uh, story that it was two weeks before. And um, so we know that Hank went into the quantum realm to get Janet, but she had contracted a quantum virus because remember in Ant-Man Ant and the Wasp, but just in Ant-Man terms in general, we're putting quantum in front of everything. Uh, and then Janet and Hank brought that quantum virus back to, uh, to the regular world of the MCU. And Scott immediately goes down. Hope escapes. We are told that within 24 hours, the entire Pacific Northwest had been infected. So the Avengers show up, and Hank gets Captain America right away because Hank had uh, shrunk down to tiny size and, and bit Cap's neck. And then the rest of the Avengers fall. Cap, Iron Man, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and Black Panther, or at least it's so, or so it seems, but Black Panther, we find out, survived. And it seems like the event, although this is where, like, the logic bombs is just like, come on, like, really? This is the Avengers tactic? Like, these are all really smart heroes, and their idea is, oh, let's just drop onto the bridge and uh, fight this horde of zombies on foot. 
I, I don't know. I liked the way that Hank took out Cap. I thought that was you know clever use of just the way things are in the MCU and power levels and stuff like that. But just the Avengers being like, yeah, we'll just land on the bridge in the in the middle of this zombie horde and, and we'll be all right. Yeah, this is where I think once they, they start trying to figure out how they can defeat everything, this is where it starts to lose me. And I just don't really I'm like, OK, zombies. All right. And then who survived? Who's around still? And I don't know. Yeah, it just really, I start getting disinterested, to be quite honest. It, it was cool to see, a, you know, a couple things in the beginning. But, but this is where I start to kind of it loses me. I just don't. I, yeah, I, I just don't really care about a lot of these things. And even when you introduce happy and things like that, Sean, I just don't like I want something more interesting, at least like how are they surviving? You know, like a, a little bit more creativity, I, I would say, at least from the superhero aspect, like like happy Hogan having like a repulsor hand. Like, that's cool. Like he should have more than that. Like give him something more if he's going to survive this long. So I don't know. This is where it starts to kind of lose me a little bit. And I get disinterested. Yeah. I started like doing things around my room, just listening to the dialogue going, okay, okay, let's get to the climax. Let's do this. I mean, I'm just assuming that the only reason people like happy Hogan or Kurt survived is because they were found and saved by heroes pretty early on. I mean, right, I, right. I don't know who, I mean, if Peter has survived, we know that and of course he's Spider-Man and happy Hogan is around him a lot. So it's the proximity to Spider-Man that kept happy Hogan alive. Maybe the same thing for Kurt with hope. Uh, maybe she went and tried to save as many members of the entourage as she could as soon as she escaped uh, Hank and, and Janet. So, um, but bringing up the introduction of these characters, there's funny stuff in Peter Parker's yes. little zombie apocalypse vlog, but I also don't understand why it exists. Uh, so, and it's the whole thing. So you want to survive the zombie apocalypse. I do like his nicknames, like happy, not never actually happy Hogan or Bucky silent, but deadly Barnes. Like that was funny. Um, I liked happy's t-shirt. I'm not single. I'm saving myself for Thor. I like when he introduced Sharon Carter that amongst her skills that were listed, one of them was eulogies. All of that was really funny. But I'm just wondering why it exists. Like when Peter does the big introduction of like New York being home to the zombie apocalypse, like why is he making a hype video about the zombie apocalypse? He's just too excited about it. Like who is this video for? Even if they cure the virus, there are loved ones who are gone forever because they've been disintegrated by ants or they're going to get cut in half in this episode or whatever it may be. So you have people, friends, loved ones who are gone forever. So is Peter Parker really going to look back on this uh, at this time and want to watch this video and see himself goofing around with a vlog? Like, I don't think so. I know what they're going for here. They're trying to replay his little vlog from... Uh, that he made during the events of Civil War that we saw in Spider-Man Homecoming, but there was a time and a place for that where it's like he's just joining an Avengers team-up battle as a, and not totally knowing what's going on as opposed to end of the world, all of my friends and family are dead, or most of them are. It's not the same thing for Peter to be vlogging about. So I, it's only there to get us a few laughs, and some of those things are funny, but none of them are worth doing something that just doesn't feel real to the character. This doesn't feel true to Peter Parker or any of the any of the characters appearing in this video who are living through this nightmare. So that's where it's like, okay, yeah. it's I, I understand what you're going for here. 
And I'm, I'm glad that we can add Zombieland to the list of movies Peter Parker has seen. But at the same time, it's not we're not really earning this in the story. Like it, it just feels way too superficial. Yeah, it, it's obviously there for exposition and it's it's an excuse. It, 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 like you said, I, it doesn't really make sense because there's probably not very many people out there to watch it in the first place. So yeah. why? I, I mean, he's which, making it for yeah. himself, but he wouldn't want to watch it as opposed to just like his other video in Civil War. He knew he couldn't share it. He made it just for himself. But that's a video he might want to watch. There's no way he would want to go back and watch this one. Yeah, it's this again. This is where it starts to get a little bit too. This is where the compression of the thirty minutes gets really, really tight, and they're getting they're trying to get everything they can to get exposition in there. And it, like you said, Sean, it doesn't really make sense to them the story or the character at this point. So, not again. This, this is where this definitely when I'm, I'm like, okay, I get it. Let's go. You know, kind of right. a thing. Like oh, we're in this yeah. now. Let's just, let's just yep. get through it. So uh, yeah, we exactly. do meet. Uh, thankfully, Okoye shows up and uh, stops the vlogging, and uh, mentions we find out why she is there because T'Challa. She's there to find T'Challa who went missing. So not confirmed uh, dead, but so Okoye is out there looking. So that's how she is united with the Avengers here uh, in. Well, now they're in New York, and they're going to have to make their way to Jersey because they are answering a beacon from another survivor camp. That beacon is coming from Camp Lehigh, of course, where S.H.I.E.L.D. started, where Steve Rogers became Captain America and all that stuff. You know, well, technically that was not in uh, at Camp Lehigh, but you know the story, the whole super soldier program. So I like on the way there, Okoye refers to Happy as an Uber driver, but he's a uh, personal chauffeur. Uh, they arrive at Grand Central Station to get a train to Jersey and Okoye orders everyone to split up and gives them their assignments. Peter, of course, objects because he's seen all the movies and he knows that this is not an effective strategy for living through a horror movie scenario. Wonders why if Okoye has seen any horror movies and she gets her burn that uh, in Wakanda they have they don't need horror movies, they have American reality shows. Yes, it's a solid burn, but this is also an obviously bad decision that Okoye later uh, regrets and apologizes for. And it takes away from what I really appreciated about this moment in the episode is I love that you have all of these Avengers who are part of this team, and yet Okoye is the one who's leading them. And she even introduces herself correctly, because that's her rank in Wakanda, as General Okoye. And she is leading them, but it doesn't count for much to put Okoye in this position of leading the Avengers and then having her make, uh, just have her not make the right decision and instead make an obviously bad one that she only justifies with a burn about American reality shows. Yeah, yeah. The, there was some interesting stuff here. I, I did like Okoye coming in. The The assembly of people, I, I like the assembly of people, Sean. Oh, you I know, love the team. I, yeah, the team is interesting. That's what's so disappointing about this this episode is that I loved where they're the mindset of, of bringing the different people because that's again what, what I love what if is the different ideas of like different teams and different kinds of heroes and, and how those will be different you know different iteration of, of Avengers or whatever you so to speak and this it was cool seeing Okoye in there and with Sharon and with Hope but but again it's it just it just again it gets bogged down in the tropes of zombies mm -hmm. and I be, and again if you like this episode i'm really i i know you're probably like really frustrated probably right now and i'm sorry uh i just don't like zombie stuff and this is the stuff i just start tuning out because 
I, I love the Marvel. I, if, if, if this episode was able to bring out more aspects of the characters, characterizations, better characterizations of the characters, and, and which I do think there are moments of that in this episode, but they're few and far between. And again, it's only 30 minutes, so it's it's compressed. I would enjoy it more, but there's, there's just not. And I think that you're touching on something that it totally is just like, it's like almost like we have to go because it's a different reality. We have to give this person a, a, a more cynical and like kind of attitude. And that's where, or even more cynical attitude, I would say. And it just doesn't really work as well. And um, again, this is because it's all tied into the zombie tropes. So, but again, it sucks because I'm still semi-interested because I like the characters. The characters the characters they brought in is different. If it was just like Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, I'd be like, okay, whatever. But at least with this, there are different side characters that I really like and, and cool. it's cool getting them to the spotlight. So that much was interesting enough in that point. Yeah, I just wish that this really great and unique Avengers team that we've never really seen together before, at least certainly not with all these characters being able to be at like the forefront of like the core team, I mm-hmm. would love to see a better story with this group and and them acting, I don't know, more like themselves or like human beings might react to what's happening in front of them. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, and I, I feel like I, I don't, we don't necessarily need to apologize for this, but like I, even though I totally did at the top of the show, like I understand if somebody listening to this, like you love this episode and here we are like 20 minutes in and you're really frustrated because we're, uh, you know, we've been, criticizing the episode pretty heavily and and it's not going to stop anytime soon until we get to the end of the episode because I still have more problems with this but (laughs) I I would just share that you know all we can do is be honest so in the same way that we are very very honest about how positive we are about the MCU 99.9% of the time when something like this comes along and, and we don't love it quite as much or just like you know there was episode three of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier which was better than this but and there were issues we had with that episode. So every once in a while, we're going to come up against uh, something uh, that maybe doesn't work for us in the way that it might work for some of you who are listening to this. And it's not that we want to, as I said before, we don't want to invalidate anyone's positive impression. I'm happy for anyone who really liked this episode. But what we do owe our audience are our honest impressions of these things. And so mm-hmm. that's just where it lands uh, with this episode. And so as we go through this, the team is split up and we have uh, Happy Hogan and Sharon Carter paired up. Not an effective use of of pairing them up. Like, why would you pair up two very depowered characters? Um, You know, maybe everybody should have a heavy hitter as you're splitting some people up. Anyway, uh, so uh, we see, you know, Happy shooting his, you know, repulsor ray and just blam, blam, blam. And then he gets snared and dragged off into the darkness and gets in one last blam. So we're just playing it as very like silly and and kind of slapstick when Happy dies. I mean, Peter at least takes a second to be like, not happy. But for the most part, we kind of play these deaths for laughs. And then it ends up being Hawkeye who snared Happy and Zombie Happy versus Sharon. Uh, Falcon has come in uh, elsewhere. And his battle, Zombie Falcon is battling Okoye and Bucky. Sharon kills Zombie Happy and punctuates that with a blam, which she doesn't say in like a sarcastic, snarky kind of way, but still like, why is there a pun when Happy just died, when she made him blast himself in the head? Granted, he was a zombie at the time, but like, this is the death of Happy. Like, this is not really a thing to 
punctuate with that little, you don't keep the blam bit going for that, even if you have it said in a sad way. Um, then we have Okoye, uh, we go back to the battle with Zombie Falcon. Okoye saves Bucky by splitting Sam in half, and she says, that was your friend, sorry about that. Bucky says, I should be sad, but I'm not. And this is the problem with this episode for me. I think the central problem that just, where all of it just kind of crumbles around this is we should be sad, but we're not. Like, there's a quick bummer moment when some characters die, not all of them, but some of them, but we're mostly just moving right past it while also mistakenly, I think, playing a lot of it for laughs. And I guess you could say that they're going for, because I'm aware of the existence of this movie and I love it too, they're going for Shaun of the Dead here and, you know, with a little bit of Zombieland as well. And I get that, but Shaun of the Dead did it way better than this. And it's because Shaun of the Dead also knew how to treat it like it was sad and did a better job of that for certain characters that through the paces of the story you were more invested in. So when they died, it wasn't necessarily as funny or silly as other instances of death uh, throughout Shaun of the Dead. And also, it's a lot harder to achieve that with characters like this, where these are characters where the MCU's been around for several years, and we've seen these characters and been around them for several years, and so we've been connected to them for such a long time, so it's harder to really play their deaths for laughs or to just dismiss the weight of it and and have me as an audience member feel like, yeah, this is fine. Um, I think if you go back to episode three, where we had the Avengers dying, like it, it at least treated those deaths like real tragedies, like, oh, crap, this mm-hmm. is bad. Um, we didn't really get, I didn't feel that in this, uh, in this episode. This one's just really kind of having fun. And you all should know by now, I'm not anti-fun. I'm not anti-quips. I've praised the MCU for its effective use of fun, humor, irreverence. I love those things about the MCU, but it's just off in this episode. And I think the MCU has generally been really, really good about how to play those things and balance those types of elements with the dramatic weight, the emotional heft that you would want from the stories that you're telling with these characters. This one, I feel like the balance is just off. And I know yeah. that it's what if, and it doesn't really count and all of that, except it kind of does because we, ne- we now know that we're in a multiverse uh, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And what's happening in this story, it's really happening to these characters in this timeline. So these characters and this story deserve more emotional authenticity than they're getting in this episode. And I know it's fine if you just don't want to go there because I know when if you do a zombie story, things can get very heavy because you're talking about mass death. But if you don't want to balance that and, and explore any of that in a true way, then maybe don't tell a zombie story. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I def, like, there's, there's parts where when, when Bucky takes on Cap... It, it it did feel kind of like Bucky moved on from his death pretty quick, you know. It, he put again, a punchline on it. I guess this is the I, end of the line. Like what? Yeah, I know. I I, I laughed. I I laughed out Your loud. Your best being friend like, was, I mean, granted, uh, already dead because he was a zombie, but still, like right. now you're putting him to death like once and for all, and your response to that is, "Sorry, pal. I guess this is the end of the line." Like what? <laughs> What's true about that? Oh, yeah. It, 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 I, I laughed out loud because how ridiculous it was. I was like, that's wow. I just, what are you going to do? What I, At this point, Sean, at this point, I I just was like, okay, 
All right, we've we've got we've jumped the the episode shark so a little bit here at this point. So everything else, I'm like, all right, I don't like this episode. I would have liked this episode a lot better if an animated Fonz jumped a literal shark in this episode. Actually, we get a zombie, a zombie, zombie Henry Winkler, Uh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) and and shark. That'd be amazing. Oh my god, why didn't they do that? That would have been incredible. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, that would have yeah. been awesome. Yeah, the death of zombie Cap, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But then also, yeah. like, Sharon, and I know that, hey, look, as fans, we have more complicated feelings about Sharon these days because, you know, yes. whether it's the kiss from Civil War or the power broker whatever from uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but she's a friend to these characters, an ally to these characters, and so when the Wasp, like, blows her up from the inside... It's nothing yeah. but a joke. Like I'm covered in Sharon, and then Okoye, the kid has a, has hand sanitizer. Like, okay, <laughs> I, I understand why that's meant to be funny, but like, literally, their friend just died. <laughs> so the reaction to that is like, uh, I I don't. I mean, there's an even worse one uh, coming up uh, that we'll get to. But yeah, like the way they're playing this, like I, I don't. This episode can't quite seem to figure out like when to play something for laughs versus when to. Um, you know, feel the weight of the moment because for them, I think it's because the weight is so heavy because again, it's a story where everybody dies and friends have to kill, you know, zombie facsimiles of each other. So yes, that's very, very tragic and it's very, very awful. So to try and play that in a way that the way people would actually react, you're never going to quite go there, but you can get closer. You can get something that feels that plays out more truthfully than what we're getting in, in this. Yeah. The Sharon part, or the when when Hope destroyed Sharon, I I thought that was such a weird way to do it because if you're if if saliva, even though she's in a suit, right, and she has saliva, why would she go inside of her to kill her? You know right. what I'm saying? Like I'm like that doesn't. Why not use the ants happen- again? Exactly. I was. I, <laughs> and again, I know it was meant to, for laughs. And, but I just thought to myself, that seems like the dumbest way to kill someone because that's right. like, like you're you're guaranteeing yourself to turn into a zombie. Right. Like, like it's just I'm like, OK, what again? I'm like, all right, what zombie trope? I get it. OK, yeah. But I'm like, know. I don't know. I, I would also say, I mean, I, I don't also know how it happens. I mean, I know she can get small enough to where it's like, well, right. I'm fully contained in the suit. So like. The saliva shouldn't be able to get to me or whatever. But, yeah, it seems like a weird risk to take. Um, I don't know. Um, But either way, it's bad for Hope. She's been cut slash infected. But I'm like, how, like, does, like, Sharon have, like, really tiny teeth that, like, like Hope, when she struck down, wasn't able to avoid them? I don't know how exactly she got cut. But anyway, um, yeah, it wasn't a great plan for how she took out Sharon. But um, then we do get, I think, what is... Maybe the best moment of the episode when Hope is wondering how Peter can remain so optimistic and he gets to explain that and uh, he's got a lot of practice. And I I like that when he's mentioning the people he lost, we actually hear him say the words Uncle Ben. Um, And then he mentions uh, that Aunt May is gone as well. But she used to say, if we don't keep smiling when they can't, then we might as well just be gone too. Uh, They'd want us to keep going. And... I'm all about this whole thing of Peter Parker's enduring optimism. I think that's great, and I love the message of that. 
But I think the whole keep smiling message isn't quite the same as what we get in a lot of this episode. Uh, there's a difference between keep smiling, remain optimistic, keep hope alive versus, you know, let's just treat a lot of this stuff like it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, I, there are. It's interesting because in this there, in a couple of these scenes with with with, uh, you know, we get in the future with uh, T'Challa um there are some good moments here, I think, but and the Uncle Ben stuff is nice. I do wish we had more of that in the MCU with Spider-Man. I know that's a big criticism for a lot of people with uh, with Marvel and saying, hey, don't talk about Uncle Ben, whatever. But it was nice to see to hear him talk about Uncle Ben, even though it's not Tom Holland. Um, it, it was nice, um, and there are again having the zombie idea bring out these aspects of the characters and them talking about it openly is nice and interesting, but it's just, it sucks because again, you're so condensed, Sean, you can't really like dive into the characterizations as much. And even though they touch on it a little bit here, but there are some good lines, I think coming up. I'm not, and I forgot what T'Challa gets introduced. Is he in the, at this point? No, not yet. I always forget. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Okay. So I'll save that. But yeah, this, that was nice, but like, it's again, it's few and far between and it's, it has to be like, get it done get the next thing. Right. Yeah, totally. So we get to, um, or before we get to camp Lehigh, so the train is out of fuel and they're going to have to walk through, uh, just this massive of zombies that are out there, except, uh, wasp is still going to be around long enough to become giant wasp and walk them over and past the zombie horde, and then she falls back and, and dies and tells, the last thing she gets to say is, you know, Peter, smile for me, okay? All right, fine. You know, calls back to what literally just happened 15 seconds ago. Um, but I uh, I, I kind of, I did like that moment, though, of, like, the, the big, literally big hero moment of Wasp, like, getting them across to Camp Lehigh. Yes, that, that moment cool. I, I really liked, and I, I, I'm all about that big hero stuff, and you know, like Wasp had another great moment during the whole Grand Central Terminal bit where like they actually started playing some of that Ant-Man and Wasp like type of Christoph Beck score and like that music uh, as she was taking out some zombies that I thought was really cool. So, yeah, Wasp got some great moments uh, in this episode, which I, I really appreciated. And then uh, when we get to Camp Lehigh, they notice that something is keeping the zombies out. It's the Mind Stone because Vision is here because... You know, zombies don't want to snack on synthesoids. And, uh, but Kurt knows something's up right away. He can feel the presence of Baba Yaga. Um, and we find out uh, what's going on here. So the Mind Stone is emitting some sort of subfrequency that keeps the zombies away. But it might also be useful in finding a cure. At least it worked on Scott Lang, or at least his head, uh, as Paul Rudd is here. And he's making his dad jokes, how he misses getting chewed out by Hank. And then uh, they need to broadcast this Mind Stone subfrequency worldwide to try and cure everybody. But Vision says that technology doesn't exist. Okoye says they've got it in Wakanda, uh, where supposedly people are protected because of their barriers. And uh, Bucky, meanwhile, is going to go look around for transport on the base, and Vision says, uh, Vision just tells him, uh, gives him a half-assed warning, you will not find what you're mm -hmm. looking for. I'll get more into this uh, as far as what Vision is doing here, but um, if you're trying to hide what you're doing, maybe instead of telling Bucky that he won't find and being all ominous, like you won't find what you're looking for, 
Vision's been on the base for a while now. How about just tell him where the transport is? <laughs> like, Vision probably knows uh, where no, they can find transport to get out of here. So why not just tell him? Uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, letting them go snooping around to uncover your dark secret. Um, because that secret is Zombie Wanda is there. And so is T'Challa, who I guess was just a little appetizer for Wanda. Like, she didn't eat him entirely um, and also didn't eat him, like, directly because then he would have been zombified. But um, I guess Vision or somebody just cut off his leg uh, and fed one of his legs below the knee and, and fed that to Wanda. Whatever. Uh, the truth, because the truth is that Vision has been leading people to this base to feed zombie Wanda Maximoff because keeping her fed in his mind keeps her contained. And the alternative, which would be just killing her, is something he can't bring himself to do. And then she she awakens, even though like she was already awake and downstairs, like with T'Challa and Bucky. Like if she hadn't eaten in days, why didn't she just eat them? I don't know. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Wanda Maximoff reemerges here. And Kurt dies by the hand of Baba or the, you know, zombie mouth of Baba Yaga. And Scott's immediate response to this, Scott's friend, Kurt, member of the entourage, ex-con security consultants, uh, Scott's friend has just died in front of him. And Scott Lang's response is, watch out, she's a man-eater. Uh, another dad joke about this. Like, no, really, what the hell is this? Like, there's no... I know that Scott Lang, like a lot of people, uses humor to deflect, but there's no way he makes a dad joke pun about a man-eater when he just watches Kurt die. Like, I know that we're just trying to have fun with the whole, it's zombies and it's whatever, but it's not fun when the characters are just not being real in any sort of way. Uh, and this was a really, really rough example of that, uh, that I just, I, I was not, uh, I, I was not down with, um, Vision now decides that he's going to help them escape, and uh, on the way out, Wanda takes out Okoye, Vision buries Wanda temporarily, and then to atone for his actions, he pries the Mind Stone out of his own head, killing himself. Uh, the Mind Stone is intact, but now, because it's not in Vision's head, it doesn't stop the zombies. I'm like, wouldn't it still be emitting its frequency? I guess not, because reasons. Anyway, Wanda is back and enraged by the death of Vision. She gets Bucky, maybe. I mean, she throws him really far, but Bucky could probably survive that. Maybe he'll come back in this zombie reality somewhere. Um, and then we get Banner finally hulking out to battle some zombies and Scarlet Witch. I'm never going to like not enjoy seeing Hulk, especially in, in animated form, so that was cool. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. as they're getting away, as they're flying away, those who have survived... Uh, so at this point, it's like just Scott, T'Challa, and, and Peter Parker, and the head of Scott Lang... Um, they're flying away and at first zombie wasp gets a hold of them and then they break free. And then I love that she just throws a zombie at him and just bounces it off the jet. That part was pretty cool. Um, but let's get into this choice by vision and the problems that I have with it. The morality of it, I, I don't entirely have a problem with it because if you think about it in another time, I mean, I have a problem with that. It's bad. I don't have a problem with the idea of vision doing it because in another timeline, Wanda, harmed a lot of innocence to keep Vision alive mm -hmm. in some capacity, like we just saw in WandaVision. So this is like Vision's own way of reciprocating that, not, not that he's aware that it happened. Um, I guess we'll just chalk that up to a crazy little thing called love. Um, but would Vision really do that, like, in this way? Like, I, I don't think... I could understand Vision killing, like, innocent, random people as terrible as that is, and he probably still wouldn't do that. Because that just doesn't seem to be 
what Vision would do. Um, but even if I buy that, I, I definitely don't buy that he would be doing it to fellow Avengers. Um, because he does even say to the group who showed up, like he wishes they hadn't come. Okay, great. So you wish that it was it wasn't them who were here now and to perhaps be a snack for Wanda. But then why did Vision go to San Francisco and get T'Challa? Like it's not even like T'Challa showed up there and then he was and then Vision was gonna feed him to Wanda so that T'Challa couldn't share what was happening there. Like Vision went, as we're told, Vision went and got him. So he actually went and kidnapped T'Challa to bring him back to be a snack for Wanda. Like that just doesn't make any sense at all to me. And uh and also if Vision wants to cover this up, again. Just don't let them snoop around. Get them the transport and send them on their way before they discover what's really going on. And I know it's another zombie trope that they're playing with in this episode for uh, survivors to find another. It's very Walking Dead. You find a survivor camp and all is not what it seems. And something twisted is going on that might be even more evil than what you see with the zombie apocalypse that's happening outside. I totally get it. Uh, but it's just not sold very well and, and not it's not conceived or executed very well in this. I there are moments and again, there's moments in this episode that I really enjoyed. I love the hope stuff when she was when she was huge and then turned into a zombie. That was nice. I actually did really like Hulk versus Scarlet Witch. That was a really interesting uh, fight. I thought yeah. that was that was interesting and cool. Like you said, like seeing Hulk out and fight things is never going to get old. That's just, that's again, that's, that's a trope for me that I, I will gladly say, I don't care how bad the movie is. Even the first Hulk movie, I still like the Hulk moments for the most part, except when he's fighting a cloud. But anyway, um, but I, but like you, Sean, vision's reason for keeping Scarlet Witch alive. I'm like, eh, again, I'm like, okay, whatever at this point. And I just, wanted the episode to end, but I did, I will say at this point I was carried by the fact I got to see Scarlet Witch and Hulk fight, which was very interesting. Again, I thought that was a cool matchup and, um, it was interesting to see only a few people survive on at the end. Um, I know T'Challa has a a great line where he repeats, which really honestly was maybe my favorite part of the episode, which favorite part in, 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 fairness to what's going on with you know what happened to him right it's awful but it was it was also very telling and very i thought it was it was good to remind us that you know people are gone they live on and are you know they live on still within us and that was really cool and knowing especially knowing what he went through when he said that line again was that part is my favorite part of the episode and it, I was. It was really awesome to hear him say that because you know I, I love his Black Panther so much, and he seemed like a good person, mm-hmm. and he's gone way too soon. So it was good to kind of hear and remind us that you know T'Challa, Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman will live on within us, you know, through all this and and his great uh, personality. So that was cool. Everything else besides Hulk versus Scarlet Witch, I'm like, let's, let's, let's wrap this up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. T'Challa saying death is not the end. Uh, they're still with us as long as we do not forget them was beautiful. And and of course, yeah. I mean, you can't help but think about what that means in not just the what that means not just within the MCU or within this you know this part of the multiverse of the MCU, but what it means for us as as fans and for those who you know actually knew and, and loved Chadwick Boseman personally. That you know the idea that this person gets to live on. And, and of course, you know, the whole idea of you know, still with us as long as we do not forget them, well, we're just not going to forget Chadwick Boseman. And, and it was really special right. to be able to, I mean, as much as I loved 
seeing and or in hearing him as T'Challa Star Lord back in episode two, and I think we'll see him again as that uh, as that character. It's also really nice to be able to hear his voice again as T'Challa as Black Panther, and mm-hmm. you know, in a world where, aside from the zombie apocalypse that's been happening for the past two weeks in this timeline, um, everything else seems to be very much the same as what we saw in the sacred timeline. And so to bring, have him voicing a version of the character that's so much closer to the one that we know from uh, the prime MCU, I think that was, that was amazing. And yes, that line coming from him, which of course, when he recorded that, when he wrote that, I mean, I mean, we know that, I mean, tragically he, you know, things kind of took a turn for him uh, later on where he thought he was going to beat it. So I don't necessarily think it was in his mind that he was saying it, and this would be the last, uh, you know, this would be among the last things he would ever say as this character, but that it ended up being that, and that we, you know, and just the the meaning of that line, and, and us kind of always being able to hold on to that memory of him, because this is a character who, you know, we won't get to see again in this, uh, in this context, or in live action, and having him have this, you know, this kind of ending, uh, I, I thought was really, really, uh, was really beautiful. I mean, you kind of separate that from what happens from like the true end of the episode, which is Peter saying, you know, once we get this to Wakanda, we're going to save the world. But then, you know, classic zombie thing is just when you think like you've got the one last thing you need in order to save everything and have everything be okay. The situation, uh, you know, hope is lost yet again. Because we see that Wakanda isn't safe. There are zombies behind that barrier, including a zombie Thanos who has all of the Infinity Stones except one, the one they're bringing to him, the Mind Stone. And that is where our episode ends. And it is very abrupt, which I didn't totally love. But I also understand that that's part of the thing with zombies is that in zombie storytelling is, yes, sometimes that's the way it's going to end. It's not going to end with a resolution. Um, and I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with it ending with, Oh, like they thought they were going to save everything and, and it's not going to work out, but it still just happened very, very fast. Uh, I thought, cause you had this beautiful moment with T'Challa and then just kind of a very abrupt transition to like the, the hopeless ending of, Oh, things are this impossible situation is just going to be even more impossible now with zombie Thanos. And I guess zombie Thanos still wants to take out, all of life in the universe, I get, or half of life in the universe. I don't know. I, I figured he would just want a snack, but he's very, he seems very intent on getting the last infinity stone um, and uh, doing what he was going to do when he was alive. I don't know. Zombie Thanos looked cool and you know, it, it's perfectly valid as a trope of zombie storytelling, but really for me, it was like, it, it's an, it's an abrupt ending, but if anything, I was like, okay, well I'm, I'm glad this is done and on to next week. Yeah, I, I'm with you on this one. The ending, I was like, uh, you know, it, whatever. I'm, yeah, I, I was glad this episode ended. To be quite honest, it was, it was one of those things where I, I love, I love what if so much, but zombies are just not my thing, and so I'm ready. For, I'm 100 ready for the next week. Yeah, always ready. Yeah, I, I, it almost made me the one thing that I was, if there's one thing about the ending that I was not as big of a fan of like even just how abrupt it was i was like 
oh no, like we're not going to do this again, are we? <laughs> like I don't want, I don't need a zombie mm. episode that follows up on what happens when they get to Wakanda to take on zombie Thanos. I, I don't need uh, a follow up on on where Bucky landed in this. Um, although, I mean, I feel like with the way some of these timelines and stories are are going to intersect inevitably that maybe we will get a follow-up on this um which i guess is okay but like only to transition some of the survivors like out of this world uh because i don't really want to spend a whole lot more time here and going through the stuff that we did in this episode because overall it played like a zombie movie highlight reel like all of peter parker's favorite zombie movies and zombie shows that he was watching in av club and um, it's fine that it wants to include so many of those tropes, but they did only have 30 minutes. And, and really, in doing so, um, I don't think they included those tropes very effectively. And, and ultimately, they, they were throwing out logic. Uh, they're just throwing it right out the window all too often, I felt. And, and worse than that, um, it was the emotional authenticity being discarded alongside that logic that I really had problems with uh, in this episode. So this one, um, it's a miss for me. I, I wasn't uh, wasn't a big fan of it. But if you um, and if you disagree with me and you think all the reasons, all the criticisms that we have are completely bogus, and you love the episode, believe me, I, I'm happy for you. And I'm, I know yeah. I, that sounds almost sarcastic when I'm saying that. It's not. Uh, I genuinely am happy for anybody who got to enjoy this episode and had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I, I really wish I could have, but there were just too many things that got in the way for me. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Sean. I, I like you. I'm happy for people who who really liked it. If they liked it, no, there's no judgment here. We all like different things. I didn't connect to this episode, but you know me. You've listened to the last episodes. I love what if, so right. this is not a detriment to the series. I just wasn't for me. I accepted that. I'm moving on. I'm ready to go for the next episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that like we. Oh, there I go using that stupid word again. It's not a stupid word. I like the word hope. Just you know, I'm I'm tired of it this week. Um, I would certainly like to think though that yeah, like our, our uh, you know we we've certainly put in enough deposits in our account for how much we love. Not just what if, but the MCU in general. Yes. So, uh, yes. yeah, this didn't, you know, even these criticisms come from a, a place of love and, and wanting this stuff to be as, as good as it can possibly be. And most of the time it is. Uh, this was just an, an instance in, in which it wasn't. And um, but this is also record time for us to finish a spoiler review of a Disney Plus episode, which just goes to show that, like, we don't want to spend any more time than we have to talking about things we uh, we don't like uh, about yes. the MCU. Yes. Uh, yes. We spend a lot more time on it when we are when we have positive things to say and, and get to expand on why we love something so much. But because we didn't have quite as much to say, granted, I know we're still 50 minutes into this thing, but we didn't have quite as much to say about this episode. Uh, it leaves us some time this week. So um, you get a, a little something extra. We will expand on some thoughts for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings uh, to give Paul a chance to share his impressions of the movie, but also give us a, a little bit more time because we were we were running out toward the end in the spoiler review uh, that I did with Ron. And, and thanks again to Ron from POC Culture who joined us, uh, joined me for that spoiler review, uh, did a really great job and, and did, I know he had his second screening with his uh, Shang-Chi Challenge GoFundMe campaign this weekend. I think it's awesome that he was organizing all of that. 
Um, and of course, that will still be felt as kids have private screening. You know, Boys and Girls Club uh, arranges private screenings for Shang Chi on Disney Plus. That's awesome. So happy he did that, and and really delivered some some great insight in the Shang Chi uh, spoiler review. But as we were going through that, you know, we we didn't get to spend quite as much time on the post credit scenes. Um, so, or I should say, we we talked about them, but at the same time, like I can always talk a lot more about them. And we're going to take advantage yes. of uh, this episode of What If, not giving us quite as many things to say and expand on that as well. But first, Paul, um, your thoughts on uh, Shang Chi? Shang Chi, uh, I you know I, I went in. It was one of the the lesser known products of Marvel, and I know again, I'm not saying know everything about Marvel, but I know quite a bit. And Shang-Chi was always one of the characters and properties of Marvel that I have very, I had more limited knowledge on in general. He's definitely more prominent over the last couple of years and Marvel's tried to get him out there, rightfully so. But we both talked about Sean in previous episodes that, you know, he's kind of was a, a clean slate. And what I think is really interesting is with Shang-Chi and the Eternals, there are more clean slates for Marvel Studios to kind of mix and match and play with. And obviously with Legends of the Ten Rings and they brought in, you know, the Mandarin character and put him with uh, Shang-Chi and the whole rings. They changed that around a little bit, but still the kind of same idea. And it, it obviously was to me that this wasn't going to be this, the comic book iteration. And before the movie came out, I did read a little bit and I, I plan on doing so, a, a comic book required reading for Shang-Chi for the comic binge. But what's interesting was when I read those comics, I'll be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of the material because all the material was basically just Shang-Chi as like a James Bond character with a bunch of like, to be honest, a bunch of white dudes. And I was like, okay, this. I mean, it's cool. I like I like Shang Chi doing martial arts, and Paul uh, Doug Monick and uh, Paul Galassi. I'm probably mispronouncing the names. Have a, a, a claimed run on the character, and and there is some great stories with Shang Chi in there. But it just wasn't really for me. I, I was like, this is fine. This is it's good. It's good storytelling from the from the art as, aspect. But I didn't really like. It, I didn't connect to it. And I know there's a lot of fans who are older than we are who really love that run and love those comics because of that James. Bond aspect. I say all that because I didn't know really what to expect from that. And, I, and I, people who listen to the show know that I try to avoid trailers as much as possible because I want to give you a surprise. I walked into Shang-Chi and I was blown away how different it was from the source material. Marvel Studios went very much um, they was they would uh, what's what we're looking for. They uh, they took their liberties with the character, I thought, in a good way. And I thought when I say that, meaning that from the aspect of the character that they had in the comic books right now, and they went and went even further with the character. And uh, the, my first viewing was 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 fun, and I, I liked it. Um, I did feel Sean. I even told you before um, we had to reschedule the show. Uh, in my raspy voice, I liked it, but I felt I didn't know if I liked it as much as other people. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it again with our good friend Chris Clow. Uh, and I, I loved it even more and I didn't know, I, I liked the film for sure, but I fell in love with it even more so. And I have to say out the gate that I think the intro is one of, is maybe one of the top five intros in a Marvel film ever. Mm. Um, seeing those, seeing the, uh, his mom and dad fall in love through the fight scene. And it was basic. Oh, it was, it's the backbone of the story, right? 
and it's it's giving visually a beautiful homage to all the kung fu films that came before it. Also doing a great job with exposition of giving us why these people are falling in love. And, and you're seeing it on screen unfold. You see the Mandarin falling in love with someone who is in mono a mono with him and is keeping her composure. It was just a beautiful moment. It really was. I love, 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 love that scene. And I thought it was brilliantly done. Um, not to mention this up before that, ex- before that explaining, uh, you know, uh, Wan Wu, um, oh God, I, forgot his name. I want to call him the Mandarin, but I want to call him by his real name. Yeah. When, uh, Wu. when, Wu, when, Wu, excuse me, when, Wu. uh, when, Wu and seeing him go through and be the Mandarin character and with the 10 rings. And it, I thought that was awesome. All that was great. But when he meet when he fights his, his future wife, I thought that was a great introduction to the character. It slows down a little bit for me when, uh, you introduce Shang-Chi and, and Katie a little that's where it, that part gets a little kind of wonky for me it, it was fine but it when it picks up when he fight has a fight scene on the bus and they have the, again I, i'm not sure if it's an homage com, uh, to old boy or not the original old boy um from the korean film but i thought it was when he's fighting it has that side by the side scrolling scene uh reminding right. me of, the, of the hallway scene from old boy which i love i love old boy um, right yeah ron original, called that out as well i think it's definitely there is absolutely some old boy influence there, but then also in like him, like the way he gets to the driver's seat in the bus is, is very Jackie Chan. Um, yes, yes, like that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, this movie's not being shy at all about its course, influences right. and, and nor should it be, but I, I think yeah, it also exactly. does this brilliant job of like taking these, uh, you know, taking these, these past films and, and honoring them, but then also like totally doing its own thing. And mm, what I'm curious right. about uh, Paul, uh, as far as how you're, you know, how you felt about the movie is like, I, I've been calling it the most creatively ambitious, like Marvel movie, or certainly amongst the origin films. Like, I don't think we've seen a Marvel movie. We've been watching these movies for a while now. I yeah. don't think we've seen a Marvel movie, a Marvel studios movie that combines as many different genres and styles as this mm-hmm. one. Like yeah. to have something that's more, you know, to have things that are kind of mad, a little bit of heightened magical realism in the, you know, in the fight, the falling in love fight scene to the more practical stuff. Not that it's all that practical, but what's happening on the bus and what happens in Macau to like you get just full blown mythical fantasy story in the third act like to do so many completely separate things. Like these all feel like they could almost be their own movie told in these settings. And yet yes. they're all part of one movie and they still mm-hmm. come together beautifully. Like they shouldn't really, you, you shouldn't be able to do this many things that are so different and, and not have it feel disjointed, but somehow they're able to put it together in this one. Yeah, I, that's a great point. And that's where I want to talk about how there's a lot of liberties taken with this character from the comic books to the screen. And I'm going to say right now, the the Marvel Studios version of uh, Shang-Chi is 1,000 times better than the comic book character. The comic book character. Yep. And I loved this this version of Shang-Chi. And I really hope that this, the comic books, they work their butts off to retcon, retool, or whatever, and make it more like the Marvel Studios film. Because I, I love this version. I loved all the fantasy elements I brought into it. Because I wasn't expecting that, Sean. I, I knew there obviously there's going to be a lot of martial arts, which I, okay, I love that stuff. And I was excited about that. But I was not expecting the, the fantasy element even more. And so 
that intro with with uh, Wen Wu just blowing people away with his ten rings, which again, the ten rings, I love that it's still like the Mandarin character from the comic books. It's just altered a little bit, but but that character's still there. I loved all that. And seeing that played out, I thought that was gonna be the end of it. But then as it plays on, we have like all that stuff that the third act, which we'll get to in a little bit. I loved it. I, I loved the fact that, it, like you said, it brings in so many different genres, but it does it so seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And it's not the character. And this, again, I, w- I want to stress it to the, I, I give a lot of credit to the writers and the producers and everyone in charge creatively as far as the story goes. Uh, the, all the credit in the world because they took a character that is, to, in my opinion, just kind of eh in the comic books. He's fine. but And they made him a, a, a top tier character now. And by bringing in all these different aspects. Now, again, I, this is why I wish we had we had more time. And we'll, we'll obviously have more episodes to devote to this in the future because I think there, it warrants it. I love it. I love all the different things they brought into this movie and that I wasn't expecting. And it made it a much more enjoyable experience for me. For someone who knows the character pretty, you know, somewhat de- you know, well and in a sense of where I know what to expect from the comic books. I haven't read them all, but I know very generally what 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 to expect and I wasn't given that. And I was very great. I was grateful, Sean, because I didn't, if it was a, a, like a James Bond, like just, you know, with martial arts, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked it that much. I loved everything they added to the character. So, and, I, and it's still the same, but it's, what's funny is it's still the same character from the comic books because it's, it's still like, you know, he's going up against his father. He it's, it's his father haunts his past and was driving his, you know, his present until he took control of his future and that is the character of, of Shang-Chi. Um, so I, I I loved all that. So for me, there was for me the film works in almost every way. Even when I didn't love everything, like I like like Aquafina's character, Katie, is not my is admittedly not my favorite part of the movie. I I appreciate her. Part of it, I think, obviously, is that she's I get it. She, I love how she's like the best friend. And she's a vehicle for the audience, but she's also like the vehicle. She's driving the vehicles literally, you know, too. I'm like, okay, guys, I get it. Wink, wink. I get you. Um, I, I still enjoyed her character because they perfectly cast her. If you put, if you put Aquafina is not Katie, Katie is, doesn't work in my opinion, but Aquafina just nails the character. So even though she's not my favorite part of the movie, she works because her charisma is works so well in that movie and it didn't work as well the first time. But when I watched it the second time, I bought way more into the character and I was used to, okay, okay. He has more of a sidekick, you know, kind of like, you know, whatever friend. And I'm, I like the character a lot more. So I bought in more to the story and the aspects I wasn't super into the first time, that second time. And I remember someone told me, they asked me, and I try not to give a lot. I didn't. I honestly, Sean, I didn't tell anyone about what, what I thought about the movie because I wanted to be on for the show as always. Keep. Like, I always got to keep it real, right? Um, they asked me, well, "What do you think of you know Shane, you know Shang Chi?" And I'm like, "You'll find out." And and I, but I did say this. I said, "I will say this. I liked it a lot more the second time." And so a lot of those things I didn't like love as much, like a Katie character. I liked a lot more that time. Not my favorite still, but I bought a lot more into it, and I appreciate Aquafina. Her, like, because honestly, without her, I don't think the character works. I think she is really why I accept her now in the movies because she's. I think she's phenomenal in the, or she's really good in the part. So, um, I loved all of that. 
And I, I got to say, you know, going through everything and, and seeing, I think, um, you know, the, uh, again, I'm so bad with people's names, the main actor's name. What's his name again? Simu Lu. Simu Lu. I, 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 I wish we got more of the emotional aspects of, of Shang-Chi because he was fine. I, I liked his humor was, was, was fine and everything, but I loved the more raw emotion that he would show. And when he would be a lot more serious, anytime it dove into that, I thought he really shined for me. And I love that. And I really hope that we get more of that in the sequel and in other films, because I love the more serious aspect of the character. And that's kind of me segueing into the third act here. I thought he, like to me, he was, I thought he was solid and good in the movie. I thought he just broke out and blew me away at that third act. His fight scene with when we would Mandarin, I thought was incredible. I, that whole third act blew me away. That to me cemented it to me like, okay, this character is this version of the character is 1000 times cooler than the comic book will ever be. They, the comic book needs to go and figure this out and get all this integrated into their mythology ASAP. It was incredible, dude. Like I got to say him riding a dragon with the 10 rings and using it to, to kill that giant, uh, you know, Kaiju character. I was like, this is ridiculous in the best way possible. It was amazing. I, yeah. I'm like thinking to myself, Sean, if you would have told me like before the movie was made, like do you expect like uh, Shang-Chi to ride a giant dragon with like the Mandarin 10 rings and like use them for like himself and become like a part of his own like powers and destroy a giant like monster dragon kaiju character? I'd be like, no, <laughs> okay, I mean, I've never would have thought that. Yeah. And we got whole, that. Yeah. Like I knew we saw the great protector in the trailer, right. but it was like underwater was a dream sequence. I didn't even, even if it wasn't a dream sequence, I thought it was going to be one of those things of like the great protector, like, I don't know, like it, it's some way of like channeling powers into Shang-Chi and, and kind of like this big, like inspiring moment. Not like literally he's going to ride this dragon and this dragon no, is going to eat yeah. these little soul sucking bat things. And there's going to be like, you know, the giant mega soul sucker coming out of crashing out from the dark gate. I'm like, Ugh. What even is this <laughs> right now? But I loved it. Like it was, I, I totally didn't see that coming or the story going in that direction, but it was awesome. I, I absolutely loved it. And it was, yeah, it, it was just, I was like, every time I think this movie has like settled into what it's going to be, it finds another way to up the right. ante. And I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm here for this and I'm enjoying it. And also just a great job of showing you know, giving a, uh, Shang-Chi a chance to, you know, not just because usually that's another way that this stuff happens, right? Is he gets the 10 right. rings at the end of the movie, but you yes, have to wait it, until yes. movie two to yes. see what he would actually do with them. And mm -hmm. this one, no, like when Wu releases the, the 10 rings to Shang-Chi and then we actually get to see him use them. And, it, you know, it's I, I loved a lot of the others. I mean, yes, killing the mega soul sucker was awesome, but. I love the other stuff, just seeing how inventive he was with it yes. immediately. Yes. Like the way he's using them to like step on them as like jumping off points yes. and then also grabbing yes. them and like, you know, swinging on them in midair. Like all oh. of that I, I thought was really great. And I was just, I was loving mm -hmm. every piece of that. And I was like, oh, this is going to be really fun to watch uh, in the Marvel oh. Cinematic Universe as it goes forward. But I love that we got... Um, we, we got a significant piece of that already in this movie, right. as opposed to, 
your hero got the the magical rings. Yeah. Now in three years, you'll be able yeah. to see what he can do with them. The I, I power love is that, all yours. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that we got uh, a, a good amount of that. I mean, granted, we should get a lot. We should and will get a lot more and, and see him doing even bigger and better things with them and, and all of that. But as a, a, a first glimpse of, of what he can do with them, uh, I thought that part was was really, yes. really great. And, and you know, like, and I just love that the movie went to, you know, just so unapologetic, you know, just unabashedly mm-hmm. going after these elements that like, yes, we've had some more grounded martial arts action and we're definitely going yes. into a lot of Shakespearean dysfunctional family drama that mm-hmm. we are uh, that we are playing out here in this uh, crazy heightened reality. But just when you think uh, that the reality has been heightened, you have no idea because we're going to go to Talo and we're going to have this, yes. uh, you know, this amazing sequence that's going to feature all these mythical creatures. And but, you know, if you were impressed by, you know, the birds that were on fire or the weird looking horses or the guardian lions, like all oh, that's great. Um, but wait until you see like the dragon <sighs> and the mega yeah. sucking bat thing. Like it's just. I was uh, I was blown away by, it. and that's where I'd say like the ambition of this movie. Yes, like, mm-hmm. this is the stuff where a lot of times you would say you just draw red lines through that. Like you can't do all of that in one movie. Uh, they did. <laughs> what, yeah. what are you thinking? And they killed it. Yeah, and that's okay. And, and I want to emphasize this too. So I want to set up my first time watching the movie when we get to the Tai Tai Lao, and they you know again, which by the way, uh, Trevor Trevor Slattery Slattery a man. By the way, I got to say, this movie makes Iron Man 3 1,000 times better, Sean. I, I'm not joking when I say that. Like yeah, this movie Iron Man 3 makes, was already dope, but... Uh, but anyway, um, he, he was... The fact that they gave him a little a little snippet of time, like I, I thought it was beautifully blended, so perfect. I he I, I was like, I was laughing my butt off every time. He was, oh my, he was incredible. Um, so... I love that fact that he gets like he gets a conclusion to his story. I love I love that. I love it. Um, again, this this kind of brings me back to like the whole idea of the, of the shared universe of of like, the comic books. It brings me back to the idea that, like no thread is left unturned. They all they always try to weave it in and, and improve story, and that's like classic comic book stuff for me. I love it. So that it totally reminded me of that. I loved it. But I bring all that up, that third act here for a second, because I want to set up when I'm watching the first time, Sean, and they and we see like the people. I'm like, oh, that's all the people. I set myself up for it's going to be a small battle. OK, whatever. Like it's it's just going to be these little it, it, when they first started fighting, I kind of expected it. I'm like, OK, this doesn't look as impressive. But this is what's really awesome about that. It set me up. For when the great protector and they have to eventually they don't fight for very long. They have to team up against those little evil creature things. I was like, okay, I get it. That's awesome. I love all of this. And it totally almost uh, subverted my expectations in a good way, Sean, that I was like, oh, okay. They went totally, they totally like maybe set me up for that. But they totally delivered something completely different, and it was way ended up being way bigger. So I loved how they kind of they kind of almost like you thought you were going to get something and you didn't, and it was creatively done extremely well for me. So I I love this this third act. I think this is one of the best um, third acts, one of the best intros and third acts in Marvel in Marvel Cinematic Universe. Period. Like I will put both those things up against any any film. 
whether it be Endgame, and I would say this is one of the better ones. Is it better than Endgame? No, obviously, but it's up there. I, I would love to rank third act climaxes for films, and I, I don't know if I'd put this up against, this might be a top five, to be honest. I think this is incredible. Um, so the It's movie, definitely up there, and I feel like, I mean, comparing something like this, like a, an origin movie, or even if it's not an origin story, a solo movie to something like Endgame, I mean, that's fruitless, and it's not even fair. Like, it's course, two completely different things, and I think that's what I would say, though, like, the reason why you can't even make that comparison is because like Endgame is a third act climax to Endgame but also like the, the entire Infinity phase. Saga. Yeah, right. Whereas right. like this is just, you know, a third act climax to just this one story. And so as a as a, you know, climactic kind of finale to just one story as told in, in just one movie um in a standalone like this, yeah, I I think it it's on par with you know, if it's not the best, it's tied for first. So, like, I, I think that's yeah. kind of where where it feels to me. And, and the more I've, you know, sat with this movie and thought about it, because that's part of why, like, I, people, I think, know by now, like, I don't like to make immediate comparisons, although I just did with the third act. But, like, as far as overall <laughs> where this lands, you know, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've stayed away from that because I, I don't like doing that right away. Like, I, I am going to sit with the movie a little while longer. I plan to make one more trip. Uh, to the theater to see it on the big screen before uh, before eventually it winds up on Disney yeah. Plus next month, and and when it does, I want to watch it at home too because that's another key part of it. Like, yes, the best way to watch them is on the big screen, but most of the times I watch these movies is going to be on a small screen because that's where I get the most time with them. Like unlimited time is <laughs> to be able to watch them over and over again at home. Um, but I I have a a pretty strong feeling that this one is going to continue to hold up well and, and be. Uh, a very enjoyable rewatch and and a, and a great movie to to think about and and break down and analyze uh, over and over again and and I feel like the more like the more I think about this movie and all the things it does so well like the better it holds up and like I mm -hmm. you know I I'm not I, I don't do like numbered rankings anyways as some of you may be familiar with I kind of have my groups of Marvel movies you know the Marvel masterpieces being the very top category. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not placing Shang-Chi anywhere just yet, but I feel like when I do, um, it's going to be in a, in a really good spot and, and deservedly so, because I think this really is uh, yeah. a great, great movie. And, and I, I think it's something that, and, and everybody like I went and saw the movie with, like really enjoyed it. And obviously audiences are, are loving this movie. Like look at the box office performance over the first weekend. It's it's a pretty rare thing that you have, and it has happened a, a few times in, in Marvel history, but not not super common, um, and certainly not that common for movies in general, where the weekend estimates just keep going up and up and up, where every time they check in, like you look at the updates and the trades, and they're being like, well, now it went up a few more million, a few more million as far as where it's going to end up. And then when the actual numbers came in, even higher than what the estimates were as of Sunday, as of Labor Day, on Monday, and now as of the latest estimates for weekend number two, um, those have gone up from what they were on Friday. And so now you're talking about a movie that may only be dropping 53% from weekend That's one amazing. to weekend two, which is amazing. Like a lot of Marvel movies, you know, mid to high 50s, low 60s is pretty common for the MCU, low 50s, um, that's uh, that's pretty rare. And, and so to see the movie performing this way, and, you know, some people will say, um, 
you know, some people will, will certainly, you know, look at that and say, um, well, that's uh, that, that's because there's no Disney Plus premiere access and it's only in theaters. And yeah, to some extent, that's definitely a factor. But you know what's also a factor is everybody who saw Shang-Chi last weekend going out and raving about the movie and getting and motivating other people to see it or they themselves going back and seeing it again. And so I, I don't want to take away at all from like, obviously, you know, being exclusive in theaters helps with that, but also people loving this movie mm-hmm. and, you know, and showing and really, cause I even had that. I, I even had that at work this week, people coming up to me and they either, they saw it and they weren't init- uh, initially planning to see it, but then it was talked about so much that they went ahead and they saw it and, or they were, uh, they hadn't seen it, but they were planning on going to see it this weekend. Cause they were like, yeah, everybody says it's great. Um, and that's what I was telling people. It's like, well, you know, I'm kind of in the tank for this stuff outside of this episode of what if, um, but I'm usually pretty positive about this stuff, but it's not just me. Like everybody's really loving it. And you know, it's not just me being, uh, you know, a super big, uh, MCU fan. Um, mm-hmm. so I think people, uh, you know, the way people are, are loving and just embracing this movie and being affected by this movie, it, it points to how freaking great it is. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's a testament to, what the storytellers have achieved. Um, and, you know, and when I say storytellers, it's everybody, director Destin Daniel Cretton, the entire cast, the writers, um, you know, David Callahan. And so, like, you have, and of course, obviously, you know, the Marvel, the Marvel Studios Parliament and Kevin Feige and Jonathan Schwartz, mm-hmm. the, uh, the other producer on this one. Like, they've done uh, just, they've really handed in something special and uh, the audience is, is responding appropriately to that. I, I have been blown away how the reaction for this movie um, and it, it's so interesting, Sean, because I don't know if you saw my tweet. Um, I, there's a great article by inverse uh, about this movie and uh, the, the it interviews, the writer, um, and he talked about how he, he was really afraid of it going to Disney plus first, you know, and he understood, like it, he says, like, I understand if, you know, if it had, if it needed to go there, it needed to go there. But I was petrified. He said, because he thought he wanted, he wanted the representation to be on the big screen with the Avengers. That was a big deal to him. Right. And I, I thought that was really awesome that he just said it petrified me. It was going to be on there. Cause he, it was such a big deal for him for it to be in the theater for so many different reasons. And I, I see that. And I was like, dang, cause not, it, it's so fascinating that this movie might, have saved theaters in general, you know, I mean, like, like, and, and I think we don't, you could argue either way. Sure. But in my opinion, this movie might spearhead people to go back to the theater because now they've gone back to go, Oh, you know what? You can go to the theater safely. Like, like I, like me, myself, I want, I waited to see like where I could sit somewhere with a buffer seat where I'd feel more comfortable. I am vaccinated. I wore a mask when I wasn't eating and I thought I'd get weird about that. I wasn't. I felt very comfortable. And I'm like, and I felt very comfortable going back to see what with Chris next to me, who's also vaccinated. And we had a buffer between him and his seat. So, and I think Shang-Chi has only proven that people are cool with that now. And now they're they're being comfortable. You see Venom uh, go in line and now people are not, you know, putting their movies out. And now the Eternals news. And then there's, this is all, this is a big deal. So Shang-Chi is going to be, a big movie for many different reasons. And I think it's awesome that a movie this good 
that's so it's it's so important culturally is going to have an impact on the overall culture too of just not just you know of all kinds of things. It's going to be an important movie, and I think it's awesome, given that it's 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 a movie that's not featuring a bunch of white people. You know, it's that's what's so awesome about it. So it's a to me it was such a great uh, win for so many different reasons, and yeah. I I'm just ecstatic about it. Yeah, I, I think it's instantly, you know, become the most important movie of, of the pandemic era for reasons that it was always going to be important even without this. But yeah, as far as what it the impact that it's had on movie theaters, it was it was immediate. Like it can't really get any more immediate than by the end of Shang-Chi's opening weekend, Sony has already decided to move Venom Let There Be Carnage back up two weeks. They had moved it back a few weeks, then they uh, brought it back up a couple weeks. So now it's going to be in theaters October 1st. And days later, after Shang-Chi's historic Labor Day weekend, Disney is saying that they're going to have exclusive theatrical windows for the rest of their movies through the end of 2021. I mean, they haven't confirmed anything past that, but you know things are looking good as long as movies continue to perform. I don't know that it's necessarily the biggest positive sign for all movies, because I think that's one thing we still haven't seen, like, if we're looking at the big openings that have happened, it's been Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and Fast 9. So for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Fast franchise that were already two of the biggest franchises in, I mean, well, the MCU, the biggest franchise, Fast, one of the biggest franchises in the world pre-pandemic, that audiences are still willing to go out to the theater to see those films. It's certainly a great sign that there's a place for the biggest movies to play on big screens. I think we still have to see what will happen with other movies in general. But, uh, you know, that but that was already a question mark of what was going to happen to a lot of those movies pre-pandemic anyway. But Shang-Chi has, has shown that there is still an audience that will go to the theater when they are motivated by something. And, uh, of course, Shang-Chi motivated a lot of people, and, and it has studios believing that they can also motivate audiences to get out to the theater to see their films and right. you know we will see where it goes from here but there needed some there there needed to be something there needed to be something mm -hmm. that was a especially after because like whatever fast nine and and black widow had done completely eroded because of what happened the rest of the summer because of mm -hmm. what you saw with jungle cruise or the suicide squad or everybody trying to pretend like Free Guy was a massive success for opening at $26 million. It wasn't. So you have, you know, regardless of the narrative around that movie, you weren't seeing these big openings at the box office. And there was some concern that there was a little window where maybe it looked like it was going to happen with Fast 9 and Black Widow. And then it kind of fell by the wayside. And now Shang-Chi has, has brought it back and delivered a, a proper shot in the arm. And I don't necessarily think it's, oh, because of this, now it's smooth sailing for theaters. Of course, of um, course. But, at the same, but you need the occasional boost. You need the occasional yes. positive sign. And, and Shang-Chi has done that, so much so that it's given other movies the opportunity to perhaps uh, keep that going because that's, that's where I think the biggest impact of Shang-Chi is going to be as far as box office and theaters and stuff like that is one thing that theaters haven't necessarily had is consistently had big product it's like a big movie one weekend and then a few more weeks go by and then something else and then something you know and it takes too long there's a pretty good lineup of big movies that are headed to theaters over the next couple of months 
that really could provide the sustained momentum that theaters have lacked. But you can't sustain momentum that isn't there. Shang-Chi has provided that momentum. I'm going to stop spoiling uh, the next episode of Fan Show Plus, where I'll be talking oh, more sorry. about some of this stuff. Uh, I do want to talk, uh, Paul, uh, before we get out of here, about mm-hmm. the mid and post credit scenes. Let's go out mm-hmm. of order. Let's go post credit scene. Um, okay. Because okay. I feel like post credit scene is a little more specific to Shang-Chi's world, yes. uh, although not yes. necessarily. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the mid credit is where we're getting bigger MC, broader MCU impacts, you know, on like a massive cosmic slash celestial scale. Um, mm. So the post credit scene, this was set up at, I mean, it's set up throughout the movie with the character of uh, Zhai Ling, who is also played brilliantly by Munger Zhang. She's just so awesome mm-hmm. in this. Um, yes. But we have this moment where at the very end of the movie, Shang-Chi is referring to uh, Zhai Ling as she's just taking apart. She's dismantling the Ten Rings. Well, that's not what she's doing. She is taking over the Ten Rings, as we see in this post credit scene. And one of my first thoughts about this, Paul, and I, some of you already heard this in the spoiler review, I was like, this is the real power broker right here. Forget about Sharon Ooh. and Madripoor. Uh, yeah, Shai Ling in uh, at the ten ring, you know this ten rings compound. Like this is the real power broker. Like look at her. Like look at what she did on her own with her underground fight ring that she started at the age of sixteen. You know, building her own empire. So she already had her own empire, and now she gets to merge it with the empire that is left behind with this power vacuum because her father Wen Wu is, is dead. And, you know, the Ten Rings live on, and she doesn't even have the Ten Rings, but she's able to run the show here. Um, and I just, I, I love that sequence because it's, it leaves you not knowing where she stands. And, and I like the moral ambiguity of mm-hmm. the character. Like, yeah, she seems, you know, like, it, it feels like, oh, this is a villain turn because she's lied to her brother. And I'm like, I don't think it's that simple. And, and I feel like it's something where, you know, she'll have a code that she operates by, like there's a decency within her that she'll still operate with, uh, operate within. But at the same time, like it's she's not going to play by everyone else's rules. And um, I think it really sets up this character to have a far reaching impact. Like, yes, in a sequel to this film, but really throughout the MCU, you know, that whole idea of the Ten Rings will return. That's a double meaning, right? It, it's the Ten mm-hmm. Rings that Shang-Chi has, but it's also the Ten Rings, the organization that Zhai Ling is re- is leading at the end of this. And I'm all about it. Like this could be a Disney plus series or factor into a Disney plus series. It'd be another movie or factor into other movies. Um, and, and I'm, I really love this idea that the 10 rings, like the literal rings, but then also the organization, like that they will live on in the MCU. And, and I'm all about what's happening here with, with Zhai Ling. And I can't, to, I can't wait to get a better sense of exactly what this is going to mean for this character mm, and how right. she'll impact these stories going forward. Well, I think it's really cool because I love that, like you said, the double meaning that it's he has the the literal ten rings and she has the figurative ten rings and how they inherit that from their father, right? Like they yeah. both inherited ten rings, but different aspects of that of the mm. of that idea. I thought that was really cool. Which, by the way, I'm not convinced when Wu is dead. I'm just gonna say it right now. I think when uh, Katie shoots the neck of the kaiju monster, his spirit his spirit might be Roman. And might have found his body again. I'm just throwing it out well, there. We're definitely in a realm of magic and exactly. mystical things. And, and so, yeah, I 
I, I we didn't necessarily see a lot of souls escaping. Uh, we didn't. When, we didn't. When the dweller in darkness blew up, which was you know a very chunky, exploding death. Um, it was all, all good. Liked it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I there's look, there's definitely possibilities here, and um, you know, and I would love that because look, I, I think Tony Leung gave one of the best performances oh, yeah. in the entire MCU in this movie. Like I, one hundred percent. I think he deserves to be nominated for best supporting actor when we get to the Oscars this year, and you know he probably won't be because that's you know unfortunately the way these things go with the performances in these movies so often being overlooked. Um, but I, I, I'll hold out hope that it won't be overlooked because I, I think it's an unbelievable performance. So uh, if there's a way for him to come back. I am all for it. Yeah. And so I only say that because I think there's potential for him to maybe show up again and, you know, cause there is a lot of baggage between her and, and him right now, which I think is very interesting. Um, and that if him coming back to her, and, and there's that, the fulfillment of, you know, I, I did something you wanted your son to do, but I did it, you know, without right. any help. I and think you know, that's a great point because I think we got resolution between Shang-Chi and Wenwu, but we didn't right. get as much of that between Shai Ling. Like she just gets to see her father kind of lying dead as they're riding away on, right. on the great protector. So, yeah, there there is a piece of that that's, you know, it, it does feel like there's a scene between the two of them. That would be, you know, among the the reasons yeah. to bring a character like Wen Wu back. And it could be as so much of his spirit is reaching out to her and she goes back to Tay Lao and speaks to him. I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it, who knows? But I just want to throw that out there. As far as the Ten Rings themselves, um, as far as we know, and again, I just, I just happen to read this. I don't seek it out. The the Hawkeye show is rumored to have the Magi or Magi or whatever, how you want to pronounce it from the comic books, another crime, you know, more of a mob mm-hmm. organization. This could be the Ten Rings entering and with, with the, you know, a way of entering the different crime syndicates in the in the Marvel Universe. And the Ten Rings could be a part of that where maybe they're more in the middle of the the, the crime, the, the idea of like there's that more uh, moral kind of thing between yeah. them that you kind of said too, Sean. There's something interesting there because I don't think she's a complete bad guy. She's not completely a good good guy either when she's you know when you first get her so i i i like where you're going with that as well i think yeah. i i do think there there this could be a way to introduce the other crime syndicates in the marvel universe um you know you could, you could get more like maybe the dreadnoughts could show up and you know through here um the, the magi also do that um hydra could maybe potentially be a part of this as well you know resurface a little bit there's lots of cool things you could do and use the 10 rings with it and i like you said I'm really interested where they could go with it. And I also love that that her uh, her henchman, the, the lead guy, I forgot his name, in the in the uh, the yeah, fighting range. John, John. Uh, yeah, John. He, I love that he showed up again. That was great. Well, so, I didn't not just that he showed up, but then like because on the other side she was flanked by Razor Fist, who of course is gigantic. Yes. I love how he, the John John, you see him like flexing up. Uh, yeah, to try, yeah, 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 to try and uh, give forth the same intimidating energy as Razor Fist doesn't work, but you know I I appreciate the uh, I, I do appreciate the attempt. Now yes. the mid credit scene, Ooh. I just wow. I mean the the whole meta element to it, like of you know not just the we'll talk about the Ten Rings and, and their mysterious origin, but. And just Wong's uh, message to to Shang Chi and, and and Katie of just the whole thing mm-hmm. of like, you know, it it was very reminiscent of Nick Fury with Tony Stark and Iron Man. Like you've just you become part yeah. of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. And now this mm-hmm. is Wong talking to them about how 
um, you know, the trajectory of their lives is going to change and like they're in for this journey. And mm-hmm. it takes on a whole different, uh, as I was mentioning in our spoiler review, it takes on a whole different element that you, you know, there's a different quality to it where you have, it, it's one thing for Nick Fury to say part of a bigger universe, you just don't know it yet. And it, it's a message to us as the audience at that point in time in 2008. But our perspective on it is so different now because in 2008, like part of a bigger universe means an Avengers movie. Cool. Well, now we know it's so much more than an Avengers movie. And so when mm-hmm. when Wong says that to Shang-Chi and Katie, we're like, yeah. Like like what that really resonates with us. Like we know that the even though we don't know what that journey is going to be, we know just how massive these journeys can become and what they can evolve into and how they can scale up. We know that because we've seen it in the MCU, even if we don't know specifically what that is. And and I love that message. You know, it's it's it applies to you know Simulu and, and Aquafina as actors, but on just these characters, that message of the trajectory of their lives uh, changing uh, that really hit and and you know struck a chord with me. And I, I think just the audience in general uh, watching that, and obviously the karaoke bit uh, was a lot of fun. Um, but as far as the the origin of the Ten Rings. I don't know. I mean, people have pointed out that, you know, you have Fing Fang Foom, who's, you know, ties into the origin and the creation of the Ten Rings. So maybe that's what's being set up here for Shang-Chi sequels. But I also think there's a good chance that it goes in even broader in the MCU, whether mm-hmm. it's like celestial origins that maybe we follow up on in Eternals, uh, which is now not that far away on uh, November 5th. Um, or maybe it's something that I, I'm not even ruling out Kang, you know, something because he's been around, you know, sort of since the mm. beginning of time, really, because he's basically present through all moments in time simultaneously, uh, it would seem. So uh, there's a lot of different things that a lot of different directions this could go. I, I know the comic books point to, you know, Fing Fang Foom, but at the same time, like we we already recognize that the MCU in general uh, departs from the comic books and this, uh, for this character, they've definitely made yeah. some, uh, departures from the comic books and, and rightfully so in, in many cases. So I, I think that it's, it's tough to pin down exactly what this is going to be. I mean, you can come up with the same fan theories as, as everyone else, but I, I really mm-hmm. don't, I don't necessarily have a favorite of, of what I would throw out there as a prediction. I feel the most comfortable with. I, this was the first time Sean, I when they're teasing something like something like this that I did not know right immediately where they're going. I went, what in the hell are they going with this? That's what I thought. I'm like, what? I, I it wrapped. I couldn't wrap my head around with what where they're going, where they're headed. I'll be honest. It kind of blew my mind a little bit. I'm like, where are they going with this? Because yeah. I knew that the rings. I knew the rings were alien. Right. So that's my first thing. I went, okay. So they're alien. You know, where could they be going with this? And I thought Fing Fang Foom was always, I thought he was from that dimension. So I thought that was interesting that when people are saying, you know, could go, you know, he's part of the alien race. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, I thought he was part of, I'm like, yeah, my Fing Fang Foom knowledge is not up to snuff apparently because I thought he was just like, I thought he was part of Monster Island to be honest with Mole Man. But apparently I'm wrong. Um, anyway, I, I did see that theory. I thought that was interesting. I thought, that kind of keeps in line with the great protector, mm-hmm. which again would be, I, that's probably where I would go initially with it. But I think there is a more cosmic element to this right. and, and, and that's where I'm leaning towards. And that's where I'm, 
I think it's going to be something we're not prepared for as far as um, one thing I'm going to give Chris Clow all the credit. What he told me and I'm like, dude, this is actually a brilliant idea. And I don't think we'll ever do this, but Marvel, if you're listening, hit him up, man. Cause this is a brilliant idea. He goes, what if it's like the power cosmic? I went, Oh hmm. shit. Like that's pretty dope. Actually. I'm like, what if it's a freaking those rings were freaking like a old Herald of Galactus. Right. And then when we've, I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I'm cool. loving this. I'm like, I'm loving this. And then it's, and it's beaconing out, like come to, come to uh, earth. Cause I said this, Sean, I think on Twitter, I posted this too. Um, one of my favorite, what if comic books actually is what if the Avengers fought Galactus by Jim Valentino. And it's about, uh, the fantastic four were never around. So when Galactus shows up with a silver surfer, he takes on the Avengers. Right. And I, I, I have, I have loved that story forever. What and then it's not a what if, but it's possible that maybe you could have Galactus show up and take on the Avengers instead of the Fantastic Four. I would not be opposed to that, to be quite honest. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but I did like the, I did think that was interesting that they could be the Power Cosmic, or maybe, or if it's not that literal Herald of Galactus, but it's something like that where it's that celestial idea because Galactus is a celestial, you know, some, some offshoot or whatever of that. And it'd be interesting to have that idea that that is the power cosmic, not from Galactus, but it's a part of it and explains a celestial idea. It came from a celestial or something like that. That's where I think it's possibly going. But I give Chris Clow all the credit on that. I don't want to steal it, even though I wanted to. Pretty brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that was pretty a good idea. That's where my, I think, Fing Fing Foom, power cosmic, something like that. Definitely celestial related, if not. Um, so that's where I'm going with it, or it could still be interdimensional in the, but I don't think so. I think it's, it's cause it came from outer space and they talk about, he found them on earth. I think they're from space. So that's where I'm kind of sticking with that. They could be from another dimension. I mean, it's all it's all relative. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's realms, there's space, there's dimensions, there's <laughs> right, right. all sorts of things, you know, and you know, sure. Fine. Mephisto. Um, but like you don't <laughs> find there. It's Mephisto. Yeah, I know. Like how many people were watching Shang-Chi and being like, it's Mephisto. Who's behind the dark gate. The protector uh, is Mephisto. Cause he's red. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I sort of lean a little bit away from the, the thing, fang, foom theories only because that feels a little more specific to Shang-Chi and it feels a little more like Shang-Chi too. And I don't feel like that was the intent of this mid credit scene. I, I feel like the I point agree. of this was to show that like this character whom you just met or these characters whom you just met and their world, their story is now connecting to is becoming central within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so I, I feel like it, it the you know the the origin of the Ten Rings and whoever is is getting that message, you know, that that beacon, whoever that's sending a signal to. I feel like that's somebody, you know, someone, something that is not just going to touch the world of, of Shang-Chi, but like the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that's why I start thinking, I mean, Celestials, even Celestials, though, like I, I have a little bit of an issue with that because I'm like, which Celestial? Like there's not, you know, like... Uh, right. Like I know you're going to see like Arisham the Judge in uh, in Eternals, but like that feels just more specific to Eternals and it doesn't feel like it's really going to carry on 
throughout the entire MCU. So it feels more like it's pointing in the direction of a, a central antagonist or issue within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and I don't think Fing Fang Foom is going to be that. I don't necessarily believe that the Celestials will meet in Eternals are going to be that. But they could characterize somebody else as a Celestial like they did Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But then also someone who we expect to be a central antagonist in the MCU, at least for the next couple of years, with Kang the Conqueror. Um, or, you know, yeah, I, I do, I, I really like the Galactus idea. So that would be, uh, that would certainly be a lot of fun and then set up things like, you know, Fantastic Four that we know are, are coming mm-hmm. in. Um, but I think the the biggest part of it for me, like the biggest win besides like that whole dialogue around the journey is just immediately taking this character and bringing him right to the center of the MCU where you have, you know, Wong telling him. And, and of course, you have Bruce Banner, Captain Marvel, and they're, you know, so here he is with like headliners in, in the MCU. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also, of course, having Wong there, who's awesome in this movie with the fight with Abomination, like just showing that like this character's story, in case you didn't notice with this awesome movie that you just watched, like this character is going to be very important in the MCU going forward. And what happens in his world or their world for Katie and Xiling as well, um, it will have uh, it, it will impact the rest of the MCU. Um, real quick, one last thing about this uh, mid credits before we get out of here, Paul. Though, is um, I, I said Doctor Banner, not Hulk, not Professor Hulk, Smart Hulk, just mm-hmm, Doctor mm-hmm, Banner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about this. Um, I, mm. I I expect it from the comic books because when he became Professor Hulk, he did not remain pro- uh, Professor Hulk for forever and always. His arm is still hurt, so there is that, but. I I mean, look, if he can make himself Hulk all the time, then he would be capable of making himself Banner all the time. I get it. I'm uh, I'm a little curious to see the the how, not so much the how, but the why behind this, because there's a part of me that can't help be cynical about it and be like, well, this is an easy way to save money when you include Banner in the exactly. She-Hulk series on Disney+. Plus. I'm like, why? I, I feel like why is more budgetary than, than creative. Um, but, uh, even so lots of things that happened in movies are, are budgetary and the creativity comes in of how do you still make that make sense? And and how do you still make that meaningful to an audience, even though, you know, what you're doing is maybe the version you can afford as opposed to the version, uh, you, you really wanted. And and so like, I'm, I'm not against it because I said it's true to the comic books. It happens. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm okay with the idea of it. Um, but I'm also going to be interested to see how exactly they justify it. And maybe it's Banner just feeling like, you know, he's over the superhero thing for a bit. And maybe feeling like he'll just do more good for a while as uh, Dr. Banner than as, uh, you know, Hulk, a, a, a superhero. Um, so, but I think, you know, a Professor Hulk who is still has the intelligence, the intelligence of Banner and the strength of Hulk uh, feels like, you know, the best of both worlds. But Whatever. Uh, I'll be interested to see where this goes, but it's hard not to look at this and be like, oh, yeah, Disney plus money. I said the same exact thing, Sean, but I will say this, too. I think that the healing of the arm could play a part in that. And I and I yeah, think maybe. there's I think there's something to that potentially, because I, th- I don't think because I'll I leave it there. I, I we can save it for another episode and we can talk about the yeah. Sea Hulk show. But as I think it's all gonna I think that's gonna be tied in the Sea Hulk show as well. I think they're gonna explain and there's reasons. And I think right. that 
there's could be psychological reasons, you know, why, because maybe he wasn't healing as fast as he needed to. And because maybe in the, in the professor Hulk, he doesn't heal as fast. And there's, and that would, that would play the part with uh, every iteration of the banner. There is, there is parts of, um, or, or iterations of the whole character of a like great Hulk of savage Hulk to, to professor Hulk to immortal Hulk or whatever devil Hulk, yeah. There's always a, there's, there's all, but no, but I love the right. fact that there's always a different, there's a, there's always a, a trade-off and maybe with professor Hulk, he's not going to heal as much. And he realized that. And or, I think and that's where I think there's what's going to happen. That's how they're going to explain it away, which I think would work for me. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, it's definitely was a budgetary reason, but I think they'll do it right. I think they'll do it right. Yeah. I, I guess I was, you know, I mean, a three hour movie just wasn't enough for, uh, I know, with, right? With with smart home. So, like, I'm I, with you. I'm with you too. I, I just, you know, I, I was ready for even more of that. But look, I I I get it. So it's it, it's fine. And 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 you're right. Like I, they will totally explain what this is when we next see Banner, most likely in the She-Hulk Disney Plus series, which will probably premiere on Disney Plus sometime next year because I know they've already filmed it. So. Uh, it's on the way, and 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 I like that. I mean, look, it's it's a thing to be curious about with the characters. You already see that something's changed, and so now you know you of course want to uh, want to follow up. But yeah, I, I love the both of the the tags on on this movie uh, were great. Uh, but of course, the movie itself was uh, was the best part, and just uh, absolutely uh, absolutely amazing. So and happy that we were able to spend some extra time talking about it. So yes. thanks, episode five of What If. Uh, yes, much, thank you. <laughs> much appreciated yeah. for the time. Uh, but that Worked is out. where we are going to wrap up this episode of MCU Fan Show. So we we were talking about some box office stuff. I'll have more thoughts on that and Marvel's schedule and untitled release dates on Fan Show Plus that will be available to premium subscribers, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or on Apple Podcasts. Just search for the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe directly there and receive the Fan Show Plus uh, podcast. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, follow my YouTube channel, subscribe, whatever, like the videos, the comic binge. Uh, also, follow it on Twitter as well. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So, for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.